Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 6. The Pixies of Sherwood. Sir Guy of Gisborne fumed. Abbot Hugo fumed. Sir Isambard de Bellarm fumed. All three had suffered at the hands of Robin Hood and his merry men. As they sat around a table at Evil Hold, Sir Isambard's castle, they debated what to do. Sir Isambard blamed the others. He'd given them help, he said, and they'd failed to catch the outlaw. Sir Guy and the abbot were concerned. Rumours were spreading the merry men now numbered more than a hundred. They tried to persuade the owner of Evil Hold to join them in their fight with Robin Hood. Sir Isambard, though, was not convinced. Eventually, with a vicious smile spreading across his face, he offered a bargain. You are a man of God, he said to the abbot. People do what you say. If I give you enough men to take down Robin Hood, then you must do something for me. Go and see Lord Fitzwalter, and tell him you found a husband for his beautiful daughter. Then, when we've captured Robin Hood, I will marry the gorgeous Marion. The abbot doubted that even he would have the powers of persuasion enough to persuade Lord Fitzwalter that this ugly, nasty, scheming man should marry his daughter. Still, he knew he could play the god card if necessary. He agreed to the deal. Thirty well-armed men would be added to Sir Guy's small force. This would give the steward fifty soldiers, surely enough to take a raggedy band of outlaws. Sir Isambard grinned. The evil in his smile matched the evil of his home. Many people knew the reputation of evil hold. It was said that to fall into Sir Isambard's clutches was to give up all hope and say goodbye to life. Poor Maid Marion was clearly in for a terrible time. Robin Hood was not to know this. He was, though, well aware that there was something afoot. His spies were always watching the enemies of the people, and they told him that Sir Guy was cooking something up with Sir Isambard. When the thirty men left and joined up with Sir Guy's twenty, their journey was noted. Will Scarlet and two of the other men rode quickly back to Sherwood. Not an hour later, Robin Hood knew all about the gathering. Quickly, he, Will and Little John began to plan. They would be ready for the invaders. A little after sunrise the following day, Sir Guy and his fifty soldiers were on the move. Will Scarlet watched them from a distance and worked out which road they would take into Sherwood. As soon as it was certain, he ran swiftly and silently back to his leader. The plans were put into action. Robin and Little John hid themselves and waited. Sir Guy's brave troop of men was very unhappy. They had heard all about Sir Guy's first attempt to capture Robin and about Sir Isambard's attack on the church at Campsall. Some of them had even been there. They'd heard about the robbing of the Prior of Newark and they'd heard about the other attacks on the corrupt and wealthy. They were superstitious, as men of that time were. The rumours had spread that not all of Robin's followers were humans. There were elves and pixies and other mischievous sprites that were loyal to him and did his bidding. This was utter rubbish, of course, but men will believe anything when they're scared, and the men-at-arms who entered Sherwood with Sir Guy that day were scared. Very scared. The party reached the edge of the forest. The trepidation grew and grew. Not far into the woodland, one of them spotted a sword lying on the ground. He heard Sir Guy's rough instruction to pick it up and reached for it. As he did so, he was stopped in his tracks by a voice. Leave it there. Dead men have no need for swords. The man leapt back as if the blade was red hot. Sir Guy roared at him to pick it up. The man hesitated for a moment. Some of the more timid members of the party whispered to each other. Surely this was the work of the pixies. 
The rumours had been right. Sherwood was full of magical creatures, all in league with Robin Hood. Guy almost screamed at the man to do as he was damn well told, and he cautiously reached for the sword again. It is death to touch it. Death to touch it. The man recoiled. Master, he said, trembling like a jelly, I dare not. It's an enchanted sword. The pixies will get me. Guy of Gisborne virtually exploded. Calling the poor shuddering man a fairy fool, he leapt from his horse. As he was doing so, an arrow fizzed out of the wood and rattled the side of his helmet. He lost his balance and was toppled to earth, his armour clattering deafeningly as he hit the ground. The sword, its work done, moved entirely under its own steam across the grass. The men had had enough and bolted for the forest edge. Guy, who was made of sterner stuff, called them back, telling them it was all a trick and they were the most cowardly bunch of losers he had ever had the misfortune to lead. He was right, of course. Tied to the sword was a very fine cord, invisible from a little distance. Attached to the other end of the cord was Will Scarlet's left hand. The outlaw tried hard to stifle a giggle as he pulled the sword towards him, but he didn't quite manage it. There was nobody left to hear it, though, as Sir Guy had had to ride to his petrified bunch and order the men back into the forest. By the time he'd convinced them to return, the sword was nowhere to be seen. This, of course, spooked the men even more. The raiding party beat the trees with their swords as they re-entered the forest. This would force the outlaws into the open, Sir Guy had told them. This wheeze was wholly unsuccessful. All that came from the trees was a horrible screeching elvish laugh. Even Sir Guy felt a stab of fear and he crossed himself, just in case. It's the pixies of the wood, came the terrified whispers. Shut up, fools, yelled Guy. It's just that outlaw trying to trick us. I will put an end to his games. Back to the path and stick together. He assembled his band of men. Quickly he counted them. Forty-eight. Sir Guy of Gisborne cursed as he realised that two of them had not stopped running when they were spooked by the sword. Still, he thought, there's not much difference between 48 and 50. The party of frightened men made their way along one of the paths, further into the depths of the forest. Soon the track narrowed, so they had to move in single file. Guy went first on his horse, and the men followed, one by one. The trees towered above them, blotting out the light, and placing them into a seemingly eternal gloom. It was easy to make out frightening shapes among the branches. Nothing eased the wave of fear which rippled among the men. One by one, they passed the narrowest point before the path opened out again, almost having to squeeze through. One by one they went, until they were all through except the last man. As he eased himself through the narrow gap, he breathed a sigh of relief. He breathed it, that is, until he found himself unable to breathe at all, as he was yanked into the air by a rope which tightened around his neck. Some of the men screamed, some died for cover expecting another rope to come and get them. One had the courage to run to his comrade and cut him down. He dropped to the floor, half strangled, struggling for breath. Despite this, he was not badly hurt and soon recovered. Up that tree, now, shouted Sir Guy. Grab the villain who dropped that rope. Quickly, now, before he escapes. There was no point, though. The rope had been rigged up so it looped around a branch and could be pulled from some distance away. The man eventually pulled in the rope until the other end appeared. There was, of course, no sign of any outlaws. Every man present, despite the fact that none of them had actually come to any real harm, fervently wished to be a long way away from where they were. 
In the glade, a quarter of a mile away, Robin Hood spoke to Will Scarlet. So, my friend, is it ready? Oh, yes, replied Will. When they come this way, and they must, there is no other way, they will be in for another surprise. He pointed to a rough bridge which crossed the river. It was a simple construction. Two long logs stretched from one bank to the other. On top of the two logs, and perpendicular to them, were smaller logs and planks. These made up the pathway. Four men each held a rope, the other end of which was tied round one end of the long logs, two men on each bank. Robin laughed and left Will and his men to the task. He and the others moved away as they heard Sir Guy and his men approaching. Will motioned his men to wait for his command. Sir Guy of Gisborne rode into the glade and to the river bank. His horse gingerly stepped onto the bridge and began to cross. The men followed their leader, one by one, and began to cross the bridge. By the time Sir Guy had trotted three quarters of the way over the bridge, there were twelve more men on it. Heave! In an instant, the two long logs supporting the pathway were yanked sideways and the planks fell into the river below, quickly followed by Sir Guy, his poor horse and twelve men-at-arms. Sir Guy, weighed down by armour, would have drowned if he hadn't managed to stay balanced on his mount. The horse, as keen to get out of the water as Sir Guy himself, staggered to the bank and got out its master just about clinging on. Eleven men followed, each just about managing to haul himself free of the icy liquid. One, though, was caught in the current and swept away downstream and drowned. Sir Guy of Gisborne dismounted and checked his horse was uninjured. Satisfying himself that all was okay, he looked over the small river. A few yards away on the opposite bank stood three men. In the middle was Robin Hood. Little John stood to his left and Will Scarlet to his right. Shoot! Fire! Load the crossbows! yelled Guy to his men. Then, realising his commands were garbled and in the wrong order, Just kill them! Hold your fire, said Robin firmly. My men are all around you. The first man who even aims a bolt dies. We've been playing with you. Get back to the safety of your homes or we will stop playing and start being serious. If you leave now, I will guarantee that you will leave Sherwood alive. Otherwise, I will not be responsible for your safety. Never, raged Guy. We will have you hanged, you rascal. Well, up to you, replied Robin. We will give you until nightfall. If you remain here after that, then it will be at your peril. Shoot, yelled Sir Guy, becoming ever more angry. He grabbed a crossbow from one of his men and raised it. By the time he'd aimed, though, the three outlaws had disappeared. With the stream between them and no bridge, there was little point in chasing the merry men. The forest seemed empty and haunting again, and the men felt they were being watched by invisible eyes. Every last one of them, except Sir Guy himself, wanted more than anything to leave this terrible place full of pixies and other evil things. Sir Guy, of course, had other ideas. He cursed at his soldiers. When he counted them, he found he was now three men short. One had drowned and two scarpered. He swore at them, telling them they were all losers and he was ashamed to be leading them. This is what comes of being afraid of a bunch of comedians. You're scared of Robin Hood and that idiot Scarlet and their childish pranks. Now we will take no more notice. We have a job to do and we're going to do it. Spread out along the banks of this stream and find somewhere to cross. We are not leaving Sherwood Forest without Robin Hood, or at least his head. A place to cross was soon found and they made their way over. They were tired and hungry. 
Robin and his men, on the other hand, had lit a fire and had a lovely dinner of venison and thick bread. All afternoon the men-at-arms searched. The sun slowly sank in the sky until it was on the horizon. In the forest, darkness crept in until it was pitch black. Sir Guy of Gisborne and his men were still in the forest and they had not found the outlaws. Now all bets were off. Some of the men shook with fear. Robin Hood had said they would not be safe after sundown and many of the men were still convinced there were pixies in the wood. Sir Guy halted the party in a glade where he set up camp. He ordered a fire to be lit, let the men eat and then set up a guard of 15 men. The others tried to get some rest. Just as they were dropping off, a series of low, unearthly moans came from the depth of the forest. The already terrified men began to lose their marbles. The pixies are all around us, they whispered. Now we are all surely lost. They say that the dragon of the dark mere haunts this place and gobbles men as a swallow devours flies. More moaning and then a weird scream were followed by the screechy elfin laughter they had heard earlier in the day. One man finally lost it and jumped up. I will give two tall candles to Sir Hubert's shrine if I come out of this nightmare safely, he yelled. Silence, loon. You should be more scared of me than you are of anything or anyone else. It's just those outlaws playing tricks again. Guy sounded angry and forthright, but anyone who knew him well could have told that his voice shook a little with fear. There were no more noises for a while, and some sleep was taken. After a couple of hours, the fifteen men on watch were changed. Around midnight, one of the men of the second watch roused Sir Guy. He led the knight towards the edge of the clearing and pointed. Through the trees could be seen a faint flickering light. It seemed to be evidence of a distant fire. Guy smiled despite all that had gone on. Now, methinks, he said to nobody in particular, we have them. Sir Guy of Gisborne went back to his camp and selected 35 men to accompany him towards the fire. He left the clumsiest and most fearful behind. He led them carefully and slowly through the trees, trying to make as little noise as possible. As they approached the light, Guy realised that he had been right. It was indeed a fire. He could see somewhere around twelve men asleep around it, and only one apparently on watch. This was much the miller's son. Guy recognised the young man and smiled to himself. Now he could be certain that these were Robin's men. Guy pulled all of his men together at the edge of the glade and prepared them to make a surprise attack on the sleeping outlaws. The vengeful knight gave each man a target, telling them they must capture alive where possible. It was more than two against one, and the men-at-arms grew very slightly in confidence. Guy signalled to his band to attack without making any sound. He wanted to retain the element of surprise. Followed by thirty-five charging soldiers, Sir Guy of Gisborne rushed at the sleeping men laid around the fire. Less than ten seconds later, a good two-thirds of the attacking men lay on the ground, tripped by ropes which Robin's merry followers had tied taut between the trees. The few that did make it to the sleeping outlaws found stuffed dummies rather than humans. By the time they realised what was going on, it was too late. Robin Hood and the rest of his outlaws dove out of the cover of the trees armed with cudgels. Robin himself hit Sir Guy such a mighty blow that he was knocked unconscious. By the time he came to, every one of his men was trussed up as tightly as was possible while they were still able to breathe. Now, Mr Scarlet, said Robin theatrically, you and Much watch these knaves and stun any one of them that makes a noise. 
the rest of you to their camp. A few minutes later, the eleven clumsiest and most frightened men who had been left behind at the camp were brought to where their colleagues were all tied up. Robin ordered them to be stripped to their shirts and asked that Sir Guy's armour be treated well, as he fancied it for himself. Guy, who was by now wide awake, cursed and swore at Robin as all this went on. Robin told him to shut up or he would be hanged. Guy shut up. Now go, said Robin to the men-at-arms, or men-not-at-arms as they were now. It is cold in Sherwood, so I suggest you get out of here quickly and make your way home to your fires. Will Scarlet and some of these men will guide you, but be warned, they have bows and are expert archers. They have orders to kill any of you who puts up even the slightest resistance. The men were released from their bindings, only their hands remained tied together. Before letting them go, Robin spoke to Sir Guy. All of the clowning was gone. He was now deadly serious. Steward Sir Guy of Gisborne, had our roles been reversed, you would have hung every one of us. I have shown you who is Lord of Sherwood. Go and tell your abbot that Robin Hood has shown mercy that he and you do not even understand. But tell him that if he or you or Sir Isambard send men here again, I will come out and burn your house around your ears. Now go. So forty-eight men staggered out of Sherwood, hungry and with bleeding feet. Some of them went to the abbot, some to Sir Guy's castle, and the rest to evil hold. Sir Guy and the abbot didn't get their man, and so Sir Isambart didn't get his woman. All three swore revenge. But as far as Robin Hood was concerned, they could swear whatever they liked. His fame just grew. Not long later, his merry band numbered nearly a 150. Things were getting serious. Next time another of the most famous of the Merry Men joins the band. So, until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>